When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Irene Romero, I'm always talking about you because I always say there's a secret weapon in my life who is this woman that was my banker. And I feel, and I know you're very shy and you don't like to be in public, but I just think your story is so powerful. And I think what you've taught me is so powerful. Tell us a little bit about what you've done in the finance and banking world in, the, in, in your career, especially in the last 20 years. Well, my first career was in banking, being a regular, normal banker, and eight to five. And in 1993, I decided that I could do more, and I became an independent consultant. So I did consulting work to banks and insurance companies and individuals. It gave me a lot more freedom to do a lot more work um, than being just restricted by, um, by normal banking rules and regulations. So, but I don't think a lot of people understand that people like you exist, right? That if you have a business that you go to a bank or you go to div divisions of a bank that do different kinds of money for different kinds of businesses, I don't think most of the women that I talk to really don't even know how, to, how a bank works. So I always say the first thing you have to do is go find someone in the bank that either looks like you or that you feel comfortable with and get to know what, how a bank works. Can you explain how does a bank work in terms of their business? Every business needs a bank. Every business needs some financing or some services or investment services. You need that foundation. So what you need to do is need to know that, that part of your team needs to be a good banker, somebody who believes in you and, and, and um, and understands what your business is and understands what you're trying to accomplish and to be a great financial advisor. I always say the, the better a banker knows you, the better able they're able to lend you money or to help you invest your money or help you buy real estate. Uh, and it's a really important part of your team. So for instance, a lot of women that we talk to, the first day they ever meet a banker in their bank is the day they wanna go ask for a loan. And I say to them, that's a mistake. Like you need to create a relationship. So can you talk to that a little bit? Well, it's just like any other relationships. You know, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna build a foundation and when you're ready and, and you wanna pick people's brains. You wanna tell them what you know and what you don't know and, and ask them for resources because the more information you have, the better your business is gonna run, the better you're gonna know the steps to make. And having somebody who deals with, the, with a financial statement, with numbers, with projections, can help you do that, can help you lay the foundation for your business plan and how you want to grow or, or how you want to expand or how you want to contract, uh, how you want to build your client base. All of that, can, it, a, a banker is really kind of important to that. But if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like, you know, I met you through, through other people in the, in, the, in the entertainment industry, but... A lot of people go, well, how do I find that person? And I say to them, well, join an organization or join somebody that will curate that information for you. How do you find these people and how do you trust them? Exactly what, exactly what you said, it. you network. 
and you find somebody and you understand that they're not necessarily smarter than you. They just have more information in an area that you might not have. But, um, but, to, but to see a banker as being superior is, is wrong um, because you are the entrepreneurs that are gonna make this business thrive. But you're gonna need a component which is really a banker and a financial advisor and just part of your team like you have your other teams, like you have your lawyer and you have, you know, and you have other advisors um, if you're manufacturing a, pro a, a, a product, you have a, you know, you have somebody who does that for you and somebody you learn from, you know, and sometimes you make some mistakes and some, you know, and you learn from them. But you can't be all, you need financial, you need advice from all aspects of your business to make it successful. So, you know, I have to go back to your life story because, you know, when I, when I see somebody like you and you're being very humble about what you do, but the truth is, you have been the advisor and the banker and the partner of so many, which will go unnamed, but very famous people, very famous actors, very famous directors, studio execs. You finance so many movies in Hollywood. I mean, I remember when I first met you, like you were, everybody that made a movie would have to come to you. How do you go from being a Latina from California with three kids and go from zero, not, and, and none of us have had a background that knew any of this. You, tell us how you're, where you started and how did this whole thing happen? I grew up um, in Arlita, California. I was um, one of nine children, and uh, my parents were both one of 10 children, so there were this whole big village that I lived in this very poor area of um, Los Angeles. And my father was very adamant that um, all the kids get an education. Uh, more importantly, for the men to go to college and not the women. And, uh, and I graduated very early. So when I was 15, I was about to graduate high school and I had a, I had a teacher. Most important thing that happened to me is I had a teacher who took some interest in me. Tried to convince my parents that I could go to college when I was 16 and they said, no, you can't leave the home until you get married and more traditional. Um, uh, type of a, of a family. So this teacher did the next best thing. He got me a job working for Wells Fargo Bank while I was going to high school. So I would go to school for but four hours. were you good at math? I was good at, well, this teacher that helped me, um, we, we actually hit it off because he said anybody that could out-type him on a manual typewriter would get an A in the class. And I just, I aced that because I just practiced for three months so I could beat him. And I did. And we became best of friends. And I worked for him at the school. He got me the job at the bank. He actually took me to the bank to downtown LA for the interview. Changed my life because he gave me an opportunity to develop a career. So when I graduated from high school, uh, my graduation present was a plan of going to school for the next five years where the bank would pay for it. So I would go to the bank during the day and then work and go to school at night. And, um, gave, and so I had the equivalent of, of, of a college education by taking all the banking courses that would be relevant for me to move up the ladder. And so in doing all that, was that like, I mean, again, from a Latino family, was that just very different for you to learn all the, start learning all these financial services and things that we, our families don't know about? Right. My, my mother never worked outside the home. You know, my father never made more than $1,000 a month his whole life. Uh, but um, yeah, I wanted to learn it. I was good at math, but I was basically better with people. You know, that I was the best teller 
on the universe. You know, people would wait in line just to, to, so that I would service them rather than somebody else. It was, it was, it was great. So it was the people part of it. But then um, all the people that worked in the bank would give me assignments. I would say, I want to learn what you do. And they said, well, do this and do that. I would do all their work. I'd, I'd, I'd take out their mail. I would do anything I could to spend some time with them to learn what they were doing. I'm so glad you're saying that because I always say, you know, people say, well, can I get a mentor? I go, you don't ask somebody. if You, you have to just stay late, do the work, listen to what they say, right? I didn't, I, you know, the eight to five job was, 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 was important, but what was more important is working overtime and helping somebody work on a project and learning what they did. I was really interested in, in lending uh, because it wasn't a traditional role for women, even in banking. You could be in, in operations and a teller and the note department, but I wanted to be a lender. I wanted to lend money to people. So I would stay late and help the lenders and then they would pass on all their information. And then I would learn and study and go back the next day and I said, how did you do this? You know, because I would just look at what they did and, and replicate it. So. Now during this time, you got married and had kids. So talk a little bit about that period of your life. Um, I, have, I have two wonderful boys that are now 36 and 38, and, um, and I adopted my nephew and my brother passed away. But I married a, a traditional um, uh, Latino man, and um, we had decided that we were going to just build careers together, and it was going to be, you know, 50-50, and it was all going to go into one pot. And, and as I got more successful, I think it, um, it, the marriage deteriorated because I think he wanted a more traditional um, uh, family atmosphere. And so I was single for a long time and then I met. So wait, you were a single mom and right. at that time were you, already, were you a teller or had you moved up? No, I had moved up. So remember that, that I started my career at 16. So by the time I was 25, um, I had, I had a, almost a 10 year history with the bank. And then I, I had children um, when I was 28. So by the time I was 28, I'd, I had already been, been with them in the bank for over a decade. So I had the luxury of being able to um, not have to work eight to five and find a babysitter. I had, I had achieved some you know, financial Stash. success, mm -hmm. so I could afford to have the kind of help that would help raise kids and also be able to have this career that I had. And so you started, and I know, I remember you were telling me that you're in the bank and because of your people skills, a lot of people walked inside the bank that then became kind of big deals. And so this idea of relationships, can you talk a little bit about that, how people came into the bank and then all of a sudden they're like a movie star or this, and they trusted you? Well, I think my first experience it is that this, um, this, this guy came into Wells Fargo and I was a teller and he had, you know, he was from the San Francisco office and he had long, long, you know, hippie kind of hair and he was, you know, um, and he came up and he wanted something and one of the people at the bank basically dismissed him. And um, I decided that, you know, she was treating him disrespectful and I tried to help him. And, um, and then the, you know, the, the chairman of the bank called to, um, to say that this particular gentleman was uh, the son of one of the wealthiest clients of the bank and that they were very upset at the way that somebody else had treated him, but that he was, um, uh, that he felt that I had um, redeemed the bank. So, um, um, so that was my first thing. But most of my mentors have said, treat everybody like they're your biggest client because someday they may be. 
And that's true in your case. Yes. So a lot of the people that started out that when you, whether you were a teller or later on, that came in were like nobodies that became very big people. So there was always third parties, you know, mm -hmm. so in the entertainment industry, you have business managers, you have lawyers, you have um, agents, you have all these people and, and they, um, and, and they're such a great source of, of business because they know the clients and, and they're not going to refer you clients that are going um, uh, be detrimental to your, you know, detrimental to your career. And so uh, my mentors would come in and say, this person is going to be the biggest film director, but they need a $10,000 loan. And, you know, they're just doing their first film with Universal. So I would do it. And then that person would be, become so successful then, but they would always stay as a client because, because when they, didn't of where have they any started. Money. Yeah, because when they didn't have any money, it's, you know. So a lot of times you rely upon people, referral, you know, for banks, for my business. I never ever was successful at pounding the pavement and going on doors and knocking. Just wasn't my style and it, and it wasn't successful. But what was is, is really taking so, such good care of every client so that 99% of your new business was referral, was referral sources. Well, you and I met as a referral source. Right. I was at, William Morris was my agent, and there was an agent there that said, how come you don't know Irene Romero? And that's how we met. Right. So would you say that, um, and also that expands your horizons, because sometimes these clients start doing businesses that maybe you've never done the financial services of that type of business. Like for instance, film. How did you become an expert in financing films? Um, I, um, I worked at Wells Fargo and they, brought, they bought a bank that had an entertainment department. So they wanted to see if they made normal loans or not. And after a while, I was asked to look at some uh, loans that they had made and, and they were done wrong. So I spent a couple of years working out of loans where they had made mistakes in, in reading the documents. Uh, and so I, I kind of learned from other people's mistakes. And then I decided that I could create a film financing program that worked, which allowed the bank to, um, to not lose money. Um, you know, everybody says that, that financing films are risky, and, and they really are when a bank does the financing because they, they take collateral like a contract from Universal Pictures or for Fox or... And, and now, because it's become such a global industry, you take the biggest companies in Germany and France and Spain. So that's how you finance films. So I figured out a mechanism to be able to finance these films and do it safely and successfully. So I've you know, financed hundreds and hundreds of, of films. And, and you know, my clients are the stars, so I want to be you know, very you know, careful about that. But I, I have a really big list of, of of films that have won Academy Awards. I'm, I'm not the creative part, so I didn't write the scripts or have anything to do with it, but I, I picked good people and I banked good people. So I want to go back to when you and I met. And I, I, you know, and I always tell people that you're my secret sauce. When you and I met, I was already in Hollywood. I had gotten my first deal. And, but I still felt intimidated by the people that I was doing business with. I felt like they were better than me. They were smarter than me. Uh, I remember you like really shook me up uh, because I'd go see these people and I'd say, Irene, how am I going to negotiate with them? And, you know, they know so much more than me. And you said to me, no, Nellie, you're doing everything right. Like you're putting these people on. You, you think they know more than you, but they don't. Can you talk about kind of as women, as entrepreneurs, 
our self-esteem where we think we are based on our background versus where we really are. Well, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself. And, that's, and, and you have to stop believing that, that everybody is going to be smarter and better than you are. Because you're, you, you know, as women, we multitask. We have to deal with so many difficult issues. And, and we get through it. And, and you can apply your day-to-day -day life about how you handle your children or how you handle your household to how you handle your business to how you handle your banking. So there's not anybody, I, you know, I believe that my clients are the stars because they have the, the great ideas and they have, and I help them with business plans. And, but but you, already, you already knew what to do. You just felt intimidated by the process, but you always did everything the way that you should do it. And that's being full of integrity, you know, paying back your loans and making sure that, um, you know, that every transaction was upfront and, and, and processed as you wanted it, you know, as you um, went on with your career. But I have to say you, there were things that I learned through you that now seem very basic, right? 20 years later, but that I know the women that, that go to my events and that read my book it's really like this whole financial services piece is like Chinese to us, right? And I remember when you talked to me about a line of credit, you know, and making sure that I had bought that building and how I had, you know, the equity in the building that I could have a line of credit. And for, for those of you that don't understand, in the entertainment industry, you make something and you don't get paid right away. Uh, you get paid after the thing comes out. So it's very risky. It's, it is like playing Las Vegas to someone who's an immigrant and an entrepreneur, that you have to borrow money from the bank to, to basically run your business until you get paid back. And that was very scary to me. And even this idea of line of credit was scary to me. Can you explain to women how really running a business, how you have to engage in, in borrowing and in financial services and in investment and how, you know, it, it's like we have to open our minds to these things. Well, I'm assuming that when we're talking to people that don't have an unlimited resource of money. Right. So the only way to grow a business is to actually raise more money or borrow it. You know, raising money um, eliminates some of the risk, but you give away a part of the upside. And sometimes there's a balance of the two, but there is a way of financing it. So for in your case, you would have a contract that says six months after I do this, I'm going to receive X amount of dollars. So you educate your banker. That's a receivable. Like, that's a receivable. But in the entertainment industry or in some other businesses, it's not called a, a receivable. It's called an income stream. It's called a royalty payment. But it's the same thing. It's money that you've, um, that you've made that's going to be paid in the future. And if, you, and if you do some projections, some simple ones, what does it cost to run your life? What does it cost to run your business? And, where, and when is this money coming in? And where are the peaks and valleys? And then you can see, well, this, this month I'm going to need to borrow $5,000 and I'm going to pay it off two months later. And then four months later, I'm going to borrow it back again. So it's, it's managing your income versus your expenses. And what happens is a line of credit basically balances that out so they don't have to worry about it. And I think that as, as, as women and often multicultural women, we don't even think we can go borrow money or we don't even think that the thing that we're doing is something that we can go get investment for or get, go get the money in the government. Um, and so I think that's why it's important to see someone that looks like us that's doing this and has mastered it. And that it, I think that's what you did for me is like you made it 
very simple for me. Like, you know, don't be afraid. This is what this is what everybody else does. And it's okay to be part of the mainstream and do that. I think that people have, have this idea that people that look like us can't borrow money like people and, and that, you know, like other people. And that's, and it's simply not true. It's simply um, not true. And, you know, and again, you, I know that you promote, you know, the government programs that are, that are out there and they're made to help people start businesses. Uh, and, and, and I think it's a very important part again of, of, of your business plan is having a relationship with someone, uh, you know, that's going to help you, um, uh, help you in, in your financial needs. So let's talk a little bit about some, some things that also you have taught me, which is when, we, when I was in the beginning of my business, you would say to me, you know, I have all these clients. I can tell you the big mistakes people make, you know, like spending too much money uh, when they start a business. What are some of the big mistakes you see entrepreneurs make? Um, I, think, um, I think they put their priorities in the wrong place. If I see a startup company and they've rented the most expensive place in Beverly Hills and they've, and you know, and they have, you go into these luscious offices and I say, okay, I don't, I'm not sure that that's going to, you know. I say the same thing. Maybe it's what I learned from you. I if I see somebody, yeah. I said that today in, in one of my webinars, I said, if I see somebody spending money on overhead, the office is too nice, I go, that business is not going to work. And I would always say... I'm going to go to my clients. I don't need a fancy office at the bank. You know, and sometimes you're going to have a conference room and you're going to have meetings. But I don't need that because I'm going to go out to the clients and I'm going to pitch. And if they come in here and see these, these ridiculous offices, then they're going to say, well, aren't you, you're spending the money that you charge me to, for this office? So, so I think that um, um, Well, don't perception. you remember that's how yeah. when I was on the Fox lot <laughs> yep. and I, I had gotten my first deal with 20th Century Fox and they gave me a building, and I thought they were giving me the building, and they start charging me $40,000 a month for the building. And I'm like, Irene, I'm gonna go buy a building in Venice when Venice was not so hot. And you know, I tell my women, I have made five times the money in real estate than in TV. Yeah. And, and so that tells us a lot. So let's talk about some other mistakes. For instance, we talk a lot about you know, multicultural people in general Sometimes when we make money, and I really understand it because sometimes we get profiled. Like if you walk in the door and you're a black guy or you're a Latina or you're whatever, sometimes they, people don't let you in. So these people go and spend a lot of money on a Rolls Royce and on a this and the jewelry. And I tell people, you know what? It's not serving us to spend that kind of money. Talk about this idea of when people make a lot of money and what happens and what you've witnessed. Well, I think that um, people tend not to look at the long term and, and spend money on ridiculous stuff early on in their career. And then when they're, when they're older or later on, I mean, you know, you, you see actors and you kind of wonder why they take these shit movies. It's because they have to earn a living. So it's about planning and, and it's about long-term versus short-term. You know, I know that you, you, know, you say, where do you want to be here? And then, and then work um, back. But you should always have a safety net. You should always put something of what you have, whether it be in investments, whether it be in IRAs, whether it be in college funds for your kids. 
I think that um, it's really important not to spend every one of your dollars. And I, I know that I'm not the person that buys designer clothes or jewelry and stuff Me like either. that. My, you know. my, my drug of choice is real estate like yours, like and it what? always has been, you know. So, yeah. so, but what happens now is that I don't have to work because I have real estate income. So my goal was to make sure that whatever I did, I did because I wanted to, not because I had to. That's what I said. Okay, I'm realizing, I think I'm stealing all the things you've taught me uh, because I say that to him and I go, you want to get to the point where you're still young and you work because you want to and not because you have to. And we used to call that retirement, but it's not retirement because it's not that we don't want to do things. It's that we want to do things by choice. You want, you, want, you want independence. You want financial independence and you want choice. It's right. I, you know, I think a lot of people that have really wonderful, great houses that they can't afford to stay in because what they do is when they have lapses in income, they just keep on refinancing their house. So now they're 70 or 80 and they're still having to work because they don't want to leave their house. Well, also, I don't think when I've seen a lot of people in Hollywood, they don't realize like, you know, I just did a show two years ago with kind of actors that used to be big and are no longer big. And it was very painful because they didn't realize that, that when they were making millions and millions of dollars, they bought a house that was millions and millions of dollars, but they don't realize the taxes you have to pay on that and the maintenance that it takes to maintain that house. Well, you know what happens, I, that's, a, that's, that's a good point because the biggest mistake that people make is that they think that what they're making is what they're making and it's not, they're gross numbers, it's not net numbers. So out of that every dollar that you make, you have you know, 5% going to the lawyer, 10% going to the agent, you have some percentage going out and then you know, 40% of that goes into taxes, and that's true, you know, and-, and another so taxes, thing, people- You know, effective tax planning is a, is a really other, you know, another important feature. But people make the assumption that if you make a dollar, you can spend a dollar. You can't. No. Just, no, and people make, spend money as, at, a, at a certain lifestyle that then they can't maintain for, an, for a lifetime. And I always say, that's why I say my, my idol is Warren Buffett, because I feel like, it's all about living beneath your means, not above your means consistently. And so you never have these highs and lows. And I think that the other thing that I love Warren Buffett for is he didn't, didn't disable his children. That's right. Giving them a- he didn't disable them. They had to work. They had, they had responsibilities. They had accountabilities. And so I think that one of the other problems is that I think in today's world, um, I think that some people really disable their children by not raising them in a financially responsible way. When you don't have a budget, when you don't, when you just have unlimited resources, then all of a sudden you're 18 and you're supposed to learn how to do all this stuff. I think that financial literacy, you know, um, starts, you know, when they can start speaking. You know, I think it, um, I think this really important part of it um, is raising financially fit kids. Hold on, Moneymaker will be right back. Let's get back to the show. So let's talk about, because this is, I think, the most important thing. For so many people that I that we, we talk to that are multicultural women, that in some way we've been brainwashed that if someone makes money or if someone's wealthy or if someone uh, has done well, that it's kind of like they're bad people. That uh, those are, you know, malas personas and the, and the poor people are good people. And you've met a million people and I know you and I, one of the things I've learned from you too, and I think 
I don't know that I would have done it had I not witnessed it with bosses of mine, is this idea that if you bring abundance to your family and to your community, what you can really do to change generations of your family and generations of your community by being abundant. When I was growing up, I always thought that, that if I was just rich, that I would be happy. And then I was thrown into this industry where a lot of people are rich and most of them not happy um, or, or not happier than I was growing up. You know, I always say that I grew up in a really rich house with no money. And, and, it, and it was really true. And so I think that, that people with wealth can sometimes be disabled if they don't you know, manage it in a way that makes them feel good. So the things that make me feel good is, is that I do good work with it, that I mentor people, that I pass on what I've learned and the mistakes and, and the things that people did wrong to me, I don't do wrong to, you know, I don't do that to other people. I feel giving back to the community is really important, making sure there's a safety net. So I, you know, so I, I mentor students, I cook at a homeless shelter, and I cook at a homeless shelter because it makes me feel good, that I go out of it saying, oh my God, you know, look at these people and how wonderful they are. So it's part of, of finding out what makes you happy. So what made me happy wasn't um, just making money or being surrounded by, by people that know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And so I, um, you know, so and it could be poor people or it could be rich people that are that um, that have the same kind of um, mentality that I that I have that says it it's got to be a fair and decent um, society that we live in. So I create that in my in, in my environment. Irene, I'm just so glad I see this wasn't so bad. <laughs> you could even do this again. Um, I just want you to know that you are the first Latina self-made woman that I met. And that I think you don't even know how much you inspired me and made me think differently and think bigger. And you made me feel like everything you're doing is right. And I think, you know, I try to say that to my women because I feel like sometimes you just need someone like your teacher or like you for me that says, in the right moment of your life, you're doing good, keep doing it, right? I learned something really early on. So what happened is that, especially in banking, so at the time that, that I was in banking, not as many people are going to college as they are now, but I didn't have the option of, of, of going to college at the time. And then by the time I could probably have done it, I already had a career that I was really happy and loved. But, but during the course of my career, somebody would say to me, I'm sorry, you're really smart, but you'll never be an assistant vice president because you don't have a college degree. So that kind of, and so instead of not trying, I said, I'm gonna prove that person wrong. So then when I got to be an assistant vice president, they said, okay, well, yeah, but you'll never be a vice president, you know? And so when I was a vice president, they said, yes, but you'll never be a senior vice president because not only do you have not a, you don't have a degree, but you don't have, you know, a master's. And so when I became a senior vice president and then an executive, I, I, I kind of realized, it kind of it went off and said, people put restrictions on you all the time. So if you do it and you don't set, you, you know, if you don't set your... If you don't, if you don't, if you decide you can do anything you want and be anything you want, then you can. But if you limit yourself, then, then you're already dead on arrival. You know, you've already failed because you haven't tried. So, you know, the most important thing is don't let anybody, anybody 
anybody um, put any barriers or put anything in your mind that would stop you from trying. There's nothing. I mean, I, I can tell you many executives that, that I've been involved with that didn't have um, a college education. And especially in the entertainment industry, you'll see all these people and they'll say, it's not the college. It's, it's really the fact that you don't set barriers for yourself. I agree. So let me ask a question. Team out here, Jennifer, do you guys have any questions for, from Irene? For Irene, I love hearing questions from everybody. Well, that's a tactical question. It's, that's hard to say, right? Because you don't know all the Well, team. it is really hard to say. I think that um, the people have this idea that LLC is a cure-all oh, cure for, um, uh, you know, for financial yeah, liability. Not. So it, it's not. So for me, I don't care if I had to go and, and clean houses, I would pay off a loan. Even if there was, it's not an option not an for me option. not to pay. Um, but it does protect you against other liabilities. So, right. so there, it, it, it is important. But, um, but you don't do that just so that you can get away with not paying off loans because right. that, that just doesn't work out in, in a lot of ways. It, it doesn't work out, um, uh, you know, on the long run. No, I mean, I, I, I say that all the time. It's like, you know, I'm very tough about that too, that if you, Go borrow money. You better be prepared to pay it back because that's your yeah. reputation. But it's it's different. You know the the world is different now. I will say. You know you have you know you listen to the to the television and says you don't want to pay off your loans. We'll we'll you know we'll wipe them out. You know you don't pay. You know and so we have a culture that is used to not paying off loans. That's not me. It that's doesn't. Me. And the long run, it, it, and in the short term, you might get away with it. And long term, it all catches up with you. And it's just not a good business practice because I think that you set yourself up for failure if you think that every time you fail that you're not going to pay off your obligations. Well, we just, we, you know, we live in a country where, let's remember, in 2008, even institutions sort of bailed on, on, on money that they owed. And it is a very different paradigm right now than how we all were raised and how to be. But I think that the pendulum is going to switch back and there is no free lunch. Yeah. But interesting, I'll tell you that um, I've been involved with a lot of organizations that make loans to uh, people that don't have credit, you know, where we use um, a letter from their landlord or other things. And I helped set up this company that was helping these people buy refrigerators, buy this. And by far, the Latino community paid off their loans better, faster than any other community. And so I think that's part of our culture. It is part of our culture. I mean, when we have a house, we're just so happy to have the house. We're not going to give the house up. So I think that's true. Question? Yeah, I would say, so, she, so Irene had that, that teacher that gave her that opportunity. Maybe, do you think that, where do you think you would be now had that person not stepped in? And at the same time, what would you say to those people who don't have that person to give them that first opportunity or chance? Well, I think I'd probably be managing a fast food place in Pacoima and have eight kids and live paycheck to paycheck. I think it wasn't for it because I didn't have, I, because I didn't have, I didn't know what a bank did when I was 15 years old. I didn't know what a bank did. I didn't know what any of this was. And so this was such a, it, having that teacher. So what happens is that I helped um, start a charter school that helps, you know, that has almost 100% graduation rate with um, um, mostly Hispanic community. Um, I, I fund a program at UCLA so that Latino students, especially undocumented, can, can have um, access to 
uh, funds to pay for their labs during the summer. So those kids have gone. And what I tell them is that if I'm doing this for you, then I want you to do it for somebody else. But do it for more than if you're I'm going to do it for 10. You do it for 20. You do it for 30. Pass it on. Play it. Pay it forward. Because it's that's how it happens is that you you know, if you get a chance to have a mentor, then you have to do it. So anytime there's a school, anytime there's an event that I can help out, then I'm there. Well, let me ask you, what I think Jennifer's asking, too, is if you're a girl in Pacoima and you don't and you can't find you have no one. What can you do to take action there's, to find that person? So, there's so many great organizations. There really are. They're, Starting in the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, the, yeah, they're, they're, and there's so many great organiza organizations that help um, students get the kind of uh, uh, resources they need. I know that a lot of the people at UCLA go out and look for these students. There's, um, there's, there, you know, off the top of my head, there's probably 10 other programs that I've been involved in where they just help students prepare for college. They help them fill out their applications. They help them decide how to of write course, their, the you know. Hispanic scholarship. Yeah. And I might, think you might, have to advocate for yourself yeah. too. You have to decide that you want to be a winner right. and that you deserve it. And you have to like go find it. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of it is that we have to be you more You can't aggressive. expect people to do it for you, but yeah. what you can do is ask, just tell me what I do. Tell me the book I can read. Tell me where I can go on. Tell me what, and, and then you do, you know, I think the internet has um, given, you know, people a lot more opportunity than, than there wasn't an internet when I was growing up. So, I mean, I think that's given a lot more opportunity. And there are, you know, a great organizations and, 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 you know, you seek out people. The most thing is you have to take action. You don't wait for somebody to come to you. You take action and you figure out how to get to the next step. Let me ask you a question that women ask me a lot, which is in this idea of setting up a business with a friend or a marriage, how can women protect their finances and how should they be thinking about all kinds of partnerships, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business, whether it's how should they be thinking about it? You said that when you first got married, it was like 50-50 for everything. And then you get a divorce and you lose everything. So how would you, how do you want women to think about their financial well-being? I think that I always advise people to figure out if it doesn't work out, how to get out of it. So that, that while you are in the honeymoon stage, then you say, okay, this doesn't work, this is gonna happen. If I buy you out, if I, or you buy me out, this is what you're gonna do and this is what I'm gonna do. And if, you, and if you make an arrangement that has a worst case scenario, if it fails, then the only thing it can go is upside. It's, I think a lot of people um, spend a lot more time trusting people and you can trust people, but get it in writing. You know, know exactly what's going to happen if you break up, you know, and, and I think that that's a really important factor, especially if you're in, involved with somebody romantically and financially, figure out what's going to happen because it can go back. It, it, yep. And one other question for you is, we, I talk a lot in, in Self Made about there is no Prince Charming, not a mate, not a boss, not a corporation. You really do have to cultivate self-reliance, especially financially. How important is it for a woman to be financially self-reliant, in your opinion? Well, I think it's really important. I think that I spend so much time helping women that were kept in the dark. And I think that women have to be involved and have to know what's going on. I think that everybody needs to think that they're self-employed. 
that they don't know where their next job's going to come from, even if it's from a company. Because a company, you know, if a company gets into financial problems, they're not going to care about you. They're going to, you know, they're going to lay you off. That that sense that 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 corporations are loyal is is a false sense of security. How many people that you kind of think that they have their act together, right? And like you were saying, their house, they look like they're rich or whatever. And I remember you said to me, oh my God, that house is mortgaged 10 times. Like we, we, we always somehow put people on pedestals. Well, you see, you know, what happens is that they project that they're wealthy and successful and, and then... It's the Donald Trump approach you, to life. Oh yeah. Just say I'm going to win, and, and then and I win. Then, and, and then you file bankruptcy seven times like he has, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean you know, so, so sometimes people are, um, are successful at, you know, at the expense of, of others. You know, you, you, you know um, it's really important to treat people right. Do you think life having, because you've really seen some bad things. Do you really think that people that aren't considerate of other people or they're, the fact that they, they go bankrupt, you know, what that does to all their, you know, the people that they owe money to or whatever, do you think that people get away with it? Or do you, th do you really, th have you seen it not, excuse me, not be so? I don't, I don't think that people get away with anything. You don't? You know, I, I don't. You know, I think that a lot of times you see people that um, appear to be okay with what they do and how they do it. But no, I don't, I don't think that people um, get away with it. They know they don't. They know what they did. And I think that self-knowledge always makes you feel like a failure, whether they project it out. You know, I think, you know, our president is a good example of that. I think he's an absolute failure as a human being and a person. And the seven bankruptcies and screwing the banks and screwing migrant, you know, workers and all of the bad stuff, I don't know how he can be happy or fulfilled, you know, I think he's void. So you're saying that that energy can make you the president, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. Yeah, that, yeah. And I so you know. think inside yeah. their body, they know it. That's why they're still striving to be like so much. They're always trying to prove that they're, they're better than they are because, you know, they, because of the way they act. So, no, I don't think, every, you know, and I don't, I wouldn't want to be that person. See, I would, I would never want to be rich at that expense. I yeah. like, I like my lifestyle, but, but I, but I, I, you know, I, I want to be full of integrity in how I operate my life. You know, I agree. I was working as a junior officer at, at Wells Fargo um, Bank in Hollywood. And the gentleman came in by the name of um, Stan Seiden, and he was operating a little theater around the corner. And he had a friend who was coming in to operate the James Doodle Theater, now known as the Greek Theater. So at the time, remember, there was no internet, so I didn't know who James Niederlander was. And, um, and who, by the way, is a big, big Broadway well, producer. Broadway mm -hmm. producer who, who just passed away last year. But um, so, my, uh, so my boss was, was, you know, didn't really want to open the account, but I pressed him, and so we opened the account because I really liked the people. And then I met James Niederlander and his wife, and. I thought, oh my God, but I didn't know at the time and neither did my boss, by the way, you know, that he was just fantastic. So after the first year of the Greek, he came in and, he, and, and we had a meeting. He goes, Joe, I love your bank, but I only deal with vice president. So how do I get her a vice president's title? And so this was in, this was in the 70s, remember. So what happened is that um, 
uh, my boss said, well, put 10 or $15 million in the bank. So remember, that's 40 years ago. So that's like yes. asking somebody to put $80 million in the bank and, and she'll get it. And um, three days later, money's in the bank. So my boss says to me, now you know I was kidding, right? And I said, no, you weren't kidding. And you are going to do this. So we had to go to the management. So what it did for me is it elevated my career with the bank because they went, this woman got eighty million, you know, forty million dollars in our so, bank. Anyway, so I, you know, so I got the title, and um, and it, and it, and again, one of those situations that was about treating people like they'd be your. Well, next today I was just client. talking about this treating your customer and understanding how hard it is treating to acquire like they're a customer. Treating going to be the most important client. Yes. If you treat everybody that way, then you're not going to miss out on that. You know, a lot of you'll see a lot of people will say. Why did you leave your agent or your banker or your lawyer when you made it big? And they said, because they treated us like a piece of shit. And, and, and when you don't, then they stay. Then in, and then there's other people who said, they stuck with me and they took care of me and I didn't make money for three or four years and, and uh, they still stuck with they stick They stick with you. So, you know, being good to people and not knowing sometimes is very surprising. So, well, and also it's what you're saying. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Sometimes the biggest millionaires, you know, sometimes you see people that show their money and they don't really have the money. And the person that looks like he lives, you know, he's not even spending is the, is the wealthy person. And so you also have to look at you have to, you're buying the character and the thing of a person, not what they look like. And you'll see that in the industry. You'll see a lot. You'll see, God, why doesn't that actor only do a movie here and there? It's because they have choice. They don't have to. They don't have to because they've always managed their, they, you know, their financial um, uh, life in, in a way that allows them to. Well, I always say I could never have done Adelante and right. everything I've done the last few yeah. years if I hadn't already made money, if I didn't have buildings. If you didn't have real estate, that, yeah. That paid me yeah. Uh, revenue, yeah. right? Yeah. The important thing is that real estate basically replaces income that you don't, you know, that, that you, you, um, replaces income. So, and you, and when your income power decreases when you're in your sixties, like, like I am now, then, um, you know, then there's real estate income. So I don't have any different lifestyle. So it was always buying a little real estate here instead of buying, you know, like you, you like say, me. Yeah, I don't, as I, don't, I say in my book, don't buy, buy shoes, shoes, buy, buy buildings. So I always, you know, and, and you can, and it doesn't matter. You just buy, you know, real estate over time is the best investment anybody could make. I think so too. You know, that we are in sync. I think the stock market sometimes is, is, um, um, is, is. Who wants to be tracking that too? It's no, but it's also, I think it's manipulated <coughs> by, by bigger, by bigger money, by algorithms that allow people to buy things a little bit sooner. So I think we're manipulated by the stock market. Now I buy stock, but I but I look at the companies and I read their financials and I know where they're going. So I actually pick, you know, companies that I like. And I sometimes pick companies just because they do a great job for humanity. And, and it turned out to be great. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.